Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Pastor Jim Remington. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. If you'd like, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to have a Bible. It is so important that you have a Bible. If you need a Bible, you can take one. They're free. If you're going to sell them for drugs, and leave them here. But if you need one, you can take it. Um, but before we get there, I'm not political, and every now and then people will say, you know what, you're getting political. I don't get political. There's nothing to be political about. But when somebody says something, that, and especially when they reference the Bible, now you've stepped on our turf. And so, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi on Tuesday questioned whether a San Francisco archbishop who said he would deny her communion over abortion rights was using a double standard by allowing politicians who support the death penalty to receive the sacrament. Quote, I wonder about the death penalty, which I'm opposed to. So is the church. But they take no actions against people who may not share their view, Pelosi said in an interview. What I find very interesting, now aside from the article, these are just my own comments, it's amazing that she supports killing unprotected babies in the womb up until birth, all nine months, but supports giving convicted murderers taxpayer-funded room and board, which I really believe that money could do a lot of help for our homeless vets who have uh, taken the time to sacrifice their lives for us. But anyways, Pelosi challenged the notion of her imposing her personal views on abortion on others and highlighted uh, Cardonalone's uh, pronouncement on other issues such as gay rights. Now in quotes, speaking about her and her family, we just have to be prayerful. (laughs) We have to be respectful. I come from a largely pro-life Italian-American Catholic family. So what? So I respect people's views about that, but I don't respect us foisting it on others, she said. Again, in quotes, Now our archbishop has been violently against LGBTQ rights. He led the way in some of the issues, an initiative on the ballot in California, So this decision is very dangerous in the lives of so many of the American people. I hope you heard what she said. Standing up that marriage is between one genetic male, one genetic female is dangerous. She's speaking against her church that believes marriage is between one male and one female. And this priest took a stand that not many priests will take. He's taking a stand, a rightful stand, a biblical stand. And then she goes on to say, in quotes, they are, they're not consistent, they're, the church. They're not consistent with the gospel of Matthew. <laughs> didn't reference a chapter, didn't reference a verse, but she stepped on our turf. So I'm not political. But we're going to be biblical. If you say something about the Bible, you better know what you're talking about, which she does not. She needs Jesus. That's all there is to it. Last year, uh, uh, the the archbishop last year uh, condemned a bill codifying, codifying 
the constitutional protection of Roe versus Wade into federal law as an atrocity. So this priest said, this is an atrocity. Killing babies in the womb is an atrocity. And nothing short of child sacrifice, which you've been doing the daily reading, which I hope you do from Genesis to Revelation, but in our daily reading, uh, we just happened to be reading this past week about child sacrifice, living babies being put in the arms of, red-hot arms of Baal. Pelosi acknowledged a disagreement with the archbishop. In quotes, I believe that God has given us a free will to honor our responsibilities, she said, before again talking about her own family. In quotes, for us, it was a complete and total blessing, which we enjoy every day of our lives, Pelosi added, but it's none of our business, so the abortion industry is a blessing. But it's none of our business how other people choose to size and t- the size and timing of their families. So uh, if you in the last two years have not figured out how to vote, you really need to start praying harder because it's become quite obvious and uh, voting is going to take place. I hope you're registered for the midterms and you should be involved to the most of our ability. Petitions and anything that the Holy Spirit calls you to do Um, because these are little ones that we are fighting for, the unborn. And we are pro-life here, not pro-death, in case you were wondering. And so it's very important that you know what's going on and the representatives, what they're saying, because they are the ones that are passing down laws that affect all of us, whether we like it or not. So be involved, be in prayer. All right, 2 Corinthians. When they quote the Bible, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't didn't do what I said, what I I was going to do, because I didn't have it written down. So before we go there, look at Romans chapter 13, because the young people really need to hear this. So we don't bash our authorities, we speak the truth. And so Romans chapter 13, Romans chapter 13, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So Romans 13, 3. So now this is ideal. This is ideal, okay? For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? So we're not to be a part of the defund police, the Black Lives Matters, any of that nonsense. It's unbiblical. Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Again, ideally, verse 4, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. The Bible teaches us eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. There's a reason why the Bible teaches that. So we might have a whole healthy society. When we move away from the word of God, we have what we have going on right now today. Unhealthy society. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Notice that. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but because of conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. That's why we have government officials to keep evil in check. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due. Remember, Paul's writing this in the first century, guys. He's, he's addressing Rome. He's not saying go out and buy, get a bunch of swords and go against Rome. 
God's got a plan, even with Rome. Taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And so we pray for our government leaders, but we also have to address issues, especially when they start quoting the Bible and taking it out of context. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're we're going to pick it up in verse 8, and we're learning in these opening verses that Paul has been encouraging the saints at Corinth about the comfort of God. And we focus on trials and tribulations because it is when we are going through them we should be seeking after the comfort of God. We may seek after comfort some other ways, as we talked about alcohol, drugs, career, hobby, children, whatever it might be. Paul moved into his own personal testimony last week, though, as we got into this, of how God comforted him so that he might comfort the saints at Corinth due to the persecution that was coming upon the church. And is there persecution coming upon the church today? Yes. If you take a stand for Jesus and for the word of God, you are going to receive persecution. Even if you do it on your own private social media accounts, you will suffer persecution. So you need to be aware of that and be ready to take a stand for Christ. Well, let's pick it up in verse 8. So this is Paul now writing about his own personal issues. Not just theory, not hypothetical, not somebody else. For we do not want you to be ignorant, unknowing, unlearned brethren of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. And we touched on this last week so you can get the CD. But it's very important to realize that these early saints, we don't put them on a pedestal. Oh, they had no issues, they had no fears, they had no this, they had no that. They walked on water. No, 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 no. Jesus was the only one who walked on water besides Peter. And when Peter got his eyes off of Jesus, he sank like a rock. So, Paul here even despaired of life. Why is this taking place? So that he can comfort others who are despairing of life. Look at verse 9. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. You see, as a Christian, you and I, when people see us, especially unbelievers, they can get frustrated. They can get angry. They might not express it. But I'm sure you've been in a situation where you've walked into a group or you've walked amongst a couple people and they know you're a Christian and they're telling a story that they shouldn't be telling and all of a sudden they stop and they go, oh, he's here. And the story stops. They don't like you. They don't like what you stand for. They have to put up with you because they might get fired if they don't, but they don't like you. This is what Paul is saying. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. We're different. We're no longer of this world. You know, any dead fish, I've said this many times, any dead fish can float downstream. But when you're swimming upstream, you're going to get slapped in the face. You're going against the tide. Young people, you are going against the tide. And so are we as saints. That we should not, and I have this part highlighted in my Bible, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You see, we need to continually learn to not trust in our own abilities. Now, God gives us abilities. God gives us talents. Praise God. It's wonderful. But continue to grow in our trust of God's abilities working in us and through us. This is what Paul is expressing about his own personal life. Trusting in God more and more. And you'll see that. We have a bunch more verses. 
You see, as we study the life of Paul, we see this principle clearly. And having his personal background in the Word of God, he definitely needed to learn this principle. Who was Paul? He was Saul. Who was Saul? He was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was above his peers. He had his religion down pat. He was perfect, according to being religious, until he met Jesus. He was full of pride. But it is so easy to start trusting in our own abilities because God gives us gifts as well as talents and abilities. People see those and they can possibly start to elevate the creature instead of the creator. Everyone in this room, you have an ability, you have a talent of some sort. And people notice it, maybe you notice it, and we have to be careful. We have to be aware of this subtle tactic of the enemy, self-reliance. You see, Paul is going to emphasize this idea several times in this letter. And we have some slides for time's sake. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. Keep that in mind. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. So you have a talent, whatever that might be. And you've developed that talent. Praise God, you should. There's nothing wrong with that. But we don't want to forget as a Christian, who gave me that talent? And who is helping me sustain that talent? Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, the gospel. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How about 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 7? For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I was living in darkness before I knew Jesus. I was on the highway to hell. I thought I was having fun. Bible says sin is pleasurable for a season until I realized, wow, I'm going to hell. I don't have Jesus as my Savior. I am going to hell. The light, His light, shone in the darkness. I was living in darkness. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, this is what this is saying. If you don't have Jesus as your Savior, you are living in darkness and you are heading to hell. But once you acknowledge that, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you, and now the light, the glorious light starts to illuminate the darkness, and you start to repent, and you become what? But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, our bodies are a vessel. A vessel of what? The Holy Spirit. And you want to get that analogy of the potter and the clay and the wheel? that we are the clay and we can get on the wheel and allow the Holy Spirit to mold us and shape us or we can get off the wheel and do it our way. We can do it and make it, God, you know what, you're pretty busy. I I got this one. I I really don't need you for this one. Stay on the wheel because we are earthen vessels. We're crackpots. How about look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 is Paul hits home at various times in this letter. Don't trust in yourself. I mean, what a, what a more qualified person to tell us that. He totally trusted in himself. So much so that those who were stoning Stephen laid their clothes at Paul's feet, Saul's feet. So 2 Corinthians 12, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. I personally think this is an eye ailment. 
But whatever it was, notice what Paul did. He prayed. He prayed three times. God, heal me. Deliver me. I mean, this is the guy that had handkerchiefs that would be sent to people and they would be healed. He had others that he couldn't heal. He couldn't heal himself because it's not within us to do that. We have to rely upon God. And so God says what in verse 9? And he said to me, my grace. Now focus on that word because that's where we're going to focus on the rest of the study. God's riches at Christ's extent. Grace. My grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Notice that. Therefore, most gladly, Paul goes on to say, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Paul has learned something that I think very few Christians really learn. I mean, realistically. We don't like to be weak. And when I say weak, I don't mean a carpet. You know, you're a Christian, just let everybody walk over you. No, that's totally unscriptural. Weakness is just saying, you're not my crutch. You're my ICU. (laughs) I can't do without you. I need you more and more each and every day, Holy Spirit. I don't want to try to do this on my own. And that goes against us because most of the time we're trained, you know, like I was, and I'm sure probably you were, you probably, when you were little, you know, hey, just suck it up. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Do better. Get out there and try harder. Go, 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 go. And then you bring that into your Christian faith. And I don't want to bother God. Bother God? You don't want to bother God. You're going to try to do it on your own because you don't want to bother God? See, you've brought the world and you've brought it into your Christian faith. Paul's saying, I used to be like that. God, I'll take care of this. I'll kill all the Christians for you. (laughs) I got this down. That's what you want me to do, right? In his religiosity, he was ISIS. I'll torture him. I'll get him to blaspheme you because I've got it all together, God. No. No, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions in distresses for Christ's sake. When Jesus allows something to come into my life, I can either whine and complain or I can say, God, what's going on? How do you want to use this for your glory? I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable. I got emotions, but I'm going to surrender because you know what's best. Notice what Paul wraps up with there in verse. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Guys, that is a biblical principle that very few Christians get. When I am weak in and of myself, this doesn't mean you're walking around mopey and, oh, I'm so weak, I can't do anything. No. It's acknowledging, God, I need more of your Holy Spirit. I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation. I don't, know how, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to get in your word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek counsel. I'm going to get around other Christians. I'm going to go to church and, and just get involved with music and, and just get involved with you more. As you do that, God's going to meet you and you are going to become stronger. Might have the same issues. Gal in our fellowship just got noticed this past week. Terminal cancer. She's going to heaven. 
But that's pretty bad news. Terminal cancer throughout her body. I was feeling fine until she got that news. What are you going to do with that news? What would you do with that news? She's taking it really good. And she knows God has a plan and a purpose. She knows God knows her number of her days. And she knows God's going to use it for his glory. You see, that's what, that's what we have to do, is realize when I'm weak, then he's strong and he shines through me more. Because now I'm out of the way. I'm out of the way. And people can see Jesus shining through me. Let's look back in 2 Corinthians 1.11. You also helping together in prayer for us. So he's thanking the Corinthian church for their prayers. That thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift given, granted to us through many. You see, Paul reminds the Corinthians of their spiritual help by praying for him. You see, prayer is key in this spiritual battle that is taking place on this earth as well as in the heavenlies. We see the battle every time we go to put gas in the car. Or every day when we drive past the gas station. <laughs> it's, like, it's like it went up another 20 cents. The next day, it went up another 20 cents. What's going on? The next day, it went up another 20 cents. Is that our battle? No. No. The souls of men and women are our battle. We just got to do what we got to do to make it through this life. And hopefully take somebody with us. And again, I'm not saying I understand this because I don't understand prayer totally. But I do understand that there's indeed a spiritual battle taking place and that I am called to pray. I'm called to pray for leaders. We pray for our president on a regular basis. Believers as well as unbelievers. For those in the mission field. For the saints as a whole. For those who need to repent and come to the saving knowledge of Jesus as their Savior. Pray, pray, and pray some more. I, I could use more prayer. Notice at the end of the verse, though, that the Corinthians also helped Paul and his companions physically. Let's look at 1 John chapter 3. And again, if you're new or visiting, the team does a great job with slides. It's so important that you get used to your Bible. 1 John chapter 3. Practical application. Prayer is vital. Oh, I'll pray for you. But meeting practical needs is just as vital. As you're turning there, Paul says, you also helping together in prayer for us and thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many, and this most likely was a financial gift. 1 John three sixteen. by this we know love, agape, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Notice, very important, for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need. Very, very important. Notice that brother. Be careful how you help the poor and the destitute. Be careful that you don't enable their lifestyle. This is very specific here. Notice it says brother. And shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? So now again, we're not going to be able to meet everyone's needs. And we don't want to be irresponsible and bless someone else who is irresponsible. But if we come across a brother or a sister who's in need and we do have something that we can bless them with, then we should do that and not just say, well, you know, I'll pray for you. Prayer is great. But as the Holy Spirit is whispering in your ear, you know, I want you to do this. Are you kidding me, God? You know, I got a lot of other things to do. I'll I'll pray for you. Hmm. I'm just reading the scriptures. Applies to me, applies to you, and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? 
My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So prayer as well as deeds. Back in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity. This world's simplicity here is singleness, undisguised, not self-seeking. So again, as Paul is sharing his personal testimony, he's sharing about how he lived his life. And you and I, guys, we're walking epistles for those who are in our workplace. So singleness, uh, simplicity, and godly sincerity. Sincerity means purity or clearness. Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace. There's that grace again. By the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. You see, there are those who are sincere in their religious beliefs, but they are sincerely wrong in those beliefs. Paul goes back to his opening premise in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, water baptism, but to preach the gospel. What's the gospel? I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Jesus died for my sin. I can receive Jesus as my Savior. I get to go to heaven. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Not with wisdom of words. That's religion. Well, if you just say, you know, if the church that I was raised in, you know, if you went to church every single Sunday, uh, if you started to fulfill those sacraments as you grew in your age, um, if you said so many Hail Marys and Our Fathers, if you did this, if you did that, maybe God would love you. Maybe. And if you were a fairly good person, when you die, you'll go to purgatory, which is hell light. It's only 180 degrees instead of 220. So, you know, you're in hell light. Until you get those sins purged, and then you'll eventually be able to go to heaven. Now, I'm not mocking Catholicism. I'm just telling you what they, they teach. This is their, their doctrine. That's not, it's not in the Bible. It's not biblical. It's false. That's man's wisdom. And why did they do that? They needed money to build churches in the mid-centuries. That's how they raised money. Keep people in fear. Because if you ask the Pope today, how long does it take to pray somebody out of purgatory? Do you know what the answer is? Oh. He doesn't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Just keep giving us money. Nobody knows. This is what Paul's addressing. Not with words of wisdom. Islam. Blow yourself up and kill some infidels. You'll get 72 Virginians. Virgins. you get 72 virgins. Is that wisdom? I mean, you talk about sincerity. You're willing to blow yourself up. That's pretty sincere, sincerely wrong. Why? Lest the cross of Christ. Jehovah Witnesses, cross of Christ. Not, no. Mormons, cross of Christ. No, no. Guys, this is just reality. We don't bash religion. We have to be mature enough to talk about it. Are they following the same Jesus? They'll knock on the door. They'll tell you who they are. It's not the same Jesus. You're not a Christ follower. You're not a Christian. You have to be bold enough to let them know. Lovingly tell them. Make it of none effect. We have to be so, so careful. You see, here we see that Paul makes it plain and clear, so clear that the newborn Christian can understand the simplicity of the gospel. You see, Paul lived out. He lived out his faith and didn't just talk about living out his faith. And in our text, Paul didn't come to teach through man's wisdom, but teach others about the finished work of Jesus. In simplicity, it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Nothing but the grace of God tucked within this verse. It's not about Jesus plus water baptism, giving a certain amount of money, belonging to a certain group, knocking on so many doors. 
You see, these things are what man's wisdom teaches, trying to get God to love and accept you. But as we go back to that previous slide, Randy, you want to go back to that previous slide, the 1 Corinthians 1.17? You see, when a person does that, they take away the effectiveness of the cross. They are saying that the cross was not enough. I need to do something. You see those last six words there? Should be made of none effect. Should be made of none effect. Those words mean to make empty or false. So when you as a Christian say to a Mormon, oh yeah, we are, we are the same. You have made the cross no effect. It means nothing. So be careful when you have conversations. They're not your brothers and sisters. Every human being is not a child of God. We're a child of the devil, according to the scriptures. We become a child of God when we receive Jesus as our Savior. Before then, we're a child of the devil. So you just have to know your scriptures, because otherwise we can get caught up in this nonsense. Very, very important. In Romans 4, 13 through 14, we read this. For the promise that he should be an heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, not through the law, not through the Ten Commandments, stand up, sit down, fight, 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 but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void. So if you're here today and you think you can get to heaven by your own good works, then you have nullified the Christian, our Christian faith. You have said all you people are whacked out and weird. You think you're going to heaven because you have faith. It, your faith means absolutely nothing. I'm knocking on doors, I'm praying, I'm giving, I'm doing this, ba, da, ba, ba. That's what that says. Faith is made void. No, it's not. It's only by faith that we're saved. And the promise is made of none effect. You see, the simplicity of the gospel is that Jesus is plus nothing. The enemy will always, always try to add works to the salvation process because works take away from the cross of Christ. And the enemy hates the cross, guys. Isn't that kind of amazing? Try to find a cross in a Mormon ward or in a Mormon temple. Try to find it. Not going to find it. Try to find a Jehovah Witness Hall, the Kingdom Hall. Try to find it. Try to find it in Islam. You're not going to find it. Why? The enemy hates the cross. Don't believe in the cross. You think you're getting to heaven because of the cross? You ain't getting to heaven. We'd rather have people focus on anything other than the cross. Back in 2 Corinthians 1, 13 and 14, For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. That word understand there in verse 13, it means to become thoroughly acquainted with, to know well. You see, in Christianity, we pay our leaders to know the Bible. And they're supposed to study the Bible and know the Bible. They're to be acquainted with the Bible so that when any of us have problems, we can just come to the pastor because they're paid to study and become acquainted with the Bible and then they'll answer our problems for us because that's what they're paid to do. I don't see that anywhere in that scripture. And I don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. But this is lazy Christianity. It's the role of the pastor. It's the role of the deacons. It's the role of the elders. It's their job. It's their responsibility. You won't find that in the scriptures. Alone. No, it's all of our responsibility. To read or understand, to become thoroughly acquainted with, or to know well. Now I trust you will understand. 
Isn't that a great thought? You're, you're going to grow. I'm writing you another letter. You're going to grow even to the end. As also you have understood us in part that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of Lord Jesus. When would that day be? In the day of Lord Jesus. In the day that you die. Everything that you have ever done for the Lord Jesus Christ, for God, through the Holy Spirit, is being stored up in heaven. Everything that you've ever done, you've forgotten about it, it's there, and you can never lose it. In that day, our boast will be what? In the grace of God. In the grace of God. You see, to learn more about the grace of God, which Paul truly understood coming from his background and being religious, we need to apply that grace to our lives and then have that grace as our focal point until the day we die. Grace, not Republicans, Democrats, socialism, communism, whatever you want to put on it. You see, this was the theme of Paul's life, and he presented that grace to the Corinthians, and they caught it. They understood it well, maybe even to the point of misusing or abusing the principle of grace. And I mentioned this early on. Is it possible to misuse or even abuse the grace of God? Could a Christian become so calloused in his heart, her heart, that they actually walk contrary to the biblically sound doctrine? Could that happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see, a Christian can become so focused on themselves and what their flesh desires to do that they forget the cost of their salvation. They forget about the cross. They can forget those early times after receiving Jesus and how life took on a whole new perspective. I was heading to hell. I was so excited that I was going to heaven. So excited. Am I still excited? Absolutely. Maybe you're not. I am. 110, heaven. 110, heaven. I think we're supposed to have 110 this week. Heaven today? Yes. You guys want to stick around? Have at it. You see, we were drinking freely from the fountain of grace, hanging out and talking to others about that grace. But then maybe our perspective gave way to other things. My flesh, my desires. And we ended up wallowing in the pink pen of this world. It might not have been totally obvious to everyone else, but we're there. Or we were there. You know what I'm talking about. I personally do not believe that God lost them, forgot about them, or even misplaced them. No, God is not the issue, as we've talked about the last few weeks. The heart of that person is the issue. My heart, your heart. Even this morning, if you're listening to this, you're going, man, I can't wait till this is over. I want to go to lunch. It's your heart. But even at those moments, God is reaching forth in his abundant grace, unearned, unmerited, undeserved favor. He's reaching out, trying to teach us about that grace. Why? So that we might share it with somebody else. You see, Paul desires to rejoice in the grace of God. And as we've already learned in 1 Corinthians, he wants no part of it being misused or abused. And notice at the end of the verse, verse 14, as I've already mentioned, that we will all rejoice about the grace of God in heaven. We will not be rejoicing about a candidate, about Supreme Court justices, about decisions that anyone made. It's only going to be about the grace of God. The grace of God. Your testimony is going to be how God used you was in you, was working through you, was walking through you, which will produce wonderful works, of course, but it will all go back to the grace of God being infused into our lives. Let's wrap it up with Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, 
And as we read over these verses, I really want to encourage you to think about the grace of God. Have you allowed the grace of God to transform your life? You see, we got scriptures that we have today because Paul allowed the Holy Spirit to transform his life. How do you think he got to that place when I'm weak, he is strong? How do you think he got to that place without surrender? He wouldn't have gotten to that place. And maybe you're not moving and advancing in your Christian faith because you haven't learned how to surrender. Or you knew how to surrender, you've forgotten it. Or you just don't want to do it. Because I went it my way. The same Burger King. Same McDonald's. This is Christianity. Christianity. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, guys, as every Bible-believing Christian in this room, you have a measure of faith. It's not just the pastorate. Are you using your faith? Well, I don't know how to do that. Okay, great. You, you, okay, you at least acknowledge that. That's a good start. Have you even acknowledged that? Do you know what it looks like? If those answers are no, no, then you need to get involved. You need to get discipled. You need to get hooked up with somebody, male to male, female to female. Learn how, what this all means so I can start applying this stuff. It's so important. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, So we, being many, are one body in Christ. Like right now, this is a body of Christ. Rock Point, body of Christ. Mountain View, body of Christ. Many bodies of Christ, but there's one big C, body of Christ. And we have different functions. That's why we have different churches. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to make sure that we keep Jesus at the center and the focus and not put everything on the pastorate. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace, there's that word again, that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy, so teaching the Bible, in proportion to our faith or ministry, let us use it in ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who sows mercy with cheerfulness, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. That would be abortion. Or to abhor that. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affection to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Guys, this is all based on grace. How far has grace taken you? How far has grace taken you? Because if it hasn't taken you very far, you're not going to show a lot of grace to your coworkers. You're not going to show a lot of grace to your mate. You're not going to show a lot of grace to your neighbors. You're not going to show a lot of grace to that person driving down the road. You're not going to show a lot of grace. Distributing to the needs of the saints. Given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. There it is again. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And that word men there is mankind. Sometimes people don't want peace. You just got to walk away. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Important verse, as Matt comes up. Very important verse, guys, because this is where we are in our society today. Do not be overcome by evil. The evil is pressing in upon us. Commercials. You cannot watch a show. Commercials now. Gay commercials. Just gay, gay, gay. In your face. Evil is going to try to overtake. Darkness is going to try. Can darkness overtake the light? No. You're in a dark room. You strike one match. Can darkness overtake the match? Nope. Nope. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. So guys, we're not going to lose. But we want to take somebody with us to heaven. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, as we look at that previous verse, verse 20, you might be a new believer and you might think, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you heap coals of fire on his head. (laughs) You might think, that doesn't sound very Christian. Well, this is where you want to know a little bit about the culture. Uh, You see, they didn't have microwaves in that day and ovens and refrigerators, and they had coal fires to make their breakfast. So during the night, if their fire, if the coals were cold, they would go to their neighbor and they would say, hey, my coals have died. Can I have some coals? And you as a neighbor would say, absolutely. And you would give them coals. So you would bless them so they could go home and take care of their family to feed them. So that's what that is saying. When we're persecuted, bless, bless, bless. Hard to get there unless you know what? Grace, grace, grace. How much grace has been stowed upon me in the last 24 hours? How about you in the last 24 hours? Does a person sitting to your right or to your left deserve grace? <laughs> yeah. Do we want to give it? <sighs> Father, we thank you and praise you for your grace. We need it. We don't always like to give it. So Lord, help us to know and to learn not to have sloppy grace, not to be irresponsible with grace, but to be responsible and to share grace. That the unbeliever might come to know in these desperate days, people are getting desperate. Suicide is now on the rise again. People are getting desperate. They're losing hope. Gas prices, food prices, housing prices, rent price. Father, we have a living hope that this is all just temporal. It's all going to burn. It's all fading away. We're just passing through. So Lord, as we pass through this week, help us to be aware of those around us who are desperate 
And they need a word of encouragement. They need a word of exhortation. They need a word of hope that they might come to know that there is a God who loves them, that we might pray for them, pray with them. And if, if it's your will, Lord, to pray with them to receive Jesus as their Savior. We would love to do that this week, Lord. Use us. We're available. And Father, give us wisdom in these days we're living in. We do pray for our leaders. We sincerely pray for our president, Lord, that he would come to know Jesus before his mind is totally gone. Lord, we're sincere about that. We, we want him in heaven. The devil doesn't, but we do. And for those who are over us, federally, locally, state, local, city, use our brothers and sisters in Christ in these desperate days, Lord. We know this has to happen. We have to get to the one world economy, one world government, one world religion. So, Lord, we're living in biblical times. That's exciting. Help us to be aware, alert, awake, and available for your kingdom. We thank you for these times. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.